Where Brooklyn at? Where Brooklyn at? What's up, everyone? My name is Najee Adams, and I'm one half of the dynamic hosting duo of the Hoopball Nets podcast right here in the Hoopball Podcast Network. Myself, along with my best friend, Hunter Jacobs, cover everything about New York's best basketball team. Sorry, Knicks fans. Join us as we journey into a new era of Nets basketball with superstars Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant while having a whole lot of fun along the way. As your one-stop shop for all things Nets, we've got it all. From their title odds next season, all the way to what we think their NBA 2K rating should be. Just two native New Yorkers talking about Brooklyn hoops. What could be better? Swing us a follow at Hoopball Nets on Twitter and subscribe to the show everywhere that podcast can be found. We've got Brooklyn Grit. Come show us you do too. The following is a Hoopball presentation. What is going on? It's the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Brandon Marcus here. Glad to have you with us as the Los Angeles Clippers pick up their first win in the bubble, knocking off the New Orleans Pelicans and old friend J.J. Redick by over 20 points, 126 to 103. That last three-pointer by Terrence Mann gave the L.A. Clippers a franchise record in three-pointers made, and I think that is the story from yesterday's ball game, one in which the Los Angeles Clippers were red hot from distance, could not miss, hitting 25 of 47 from downtown, 53%. They were led by Paul George, 8 of 11 from deep. He was tremendous, scoring 28 points in 25 minutes in a blowout victory for the L.A. Clippers. We're going to have on Andrew Greif of the LA Times on today's podcast. Andrew is actually in the bubble. He is in Orlando, so he'll be joining us from Orlando to discuss what it's like to be in the bubble, what his impressions are of the Clippers so far through their first couple of ball games. Just Clippers and bubbles. That's exactly what we'll discuss on today's podcast. But before we get to our conversation with Andrew, we do have a partner here at Hoop Ball. It is Manscaped. Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. They obsessed over their technology developments, provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. If you've listened to this podcast before, you've heard me talk about the Lawnmower 3.0. Just received it, and boy, it is tremendous. The engineering team for Manscaped spent 18 months, 18 months perfecting the greatest hair trimmer ever created and just released that new and improved lawnmower 3.0 for below the belt trimming you can also use it for above the belt as well their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents thanks to manscapes advanced skin safe technology how do you get get this lawnmower 3.0 how about you go to manscape.com get 20% off and free shipping with the code hoopball20 that is 20% off and free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20. And you wonder, hey, can I use this in the shower? Yes, you can. Their water-resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower, and their battery lasts up to 90 minutes, so you can take a longer shave. It is a premium product. I mean premium. They also have the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer, more precise trimming. If you're listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself because it is tremendous. Get 20% off with free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 
H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-20 at manscaped.com. All right, how about we talk some hoops, talk about the bubble with Andrew Greif of the LA Times. Happy to have this guy on once again, Andrew Greif of the LA Times. You can read him on latimes.com, and of course, you can order that newspaper to your doorstep as well. And he joins us from Orlando, Florida, in the bubble. Andrew, how is that bubble? The bubble is good. Uh, bubble is a little rainy today. There's a tropical storm passing by the east coast of Florida, probably an hour or so away, but things are all good here. And I want to hear about your journey, because I'm sure you had to do some quarantining and stuff as well. You're not actually on the campus where the three hotels are, correct? Where are you located? Correct, yeah. I'm I'm staying off campus, um, just in like a regular hotel, um, just kind of near the Walt Disney World area. And I'm actually really close to the wide world of sports complex where the games are being played. Um, so I can go into the bubble and, and by the bubble, I mean, it's not only the three hotels that the teams are staying, but that would also include the arenas where they're playing at. That, that's what I would consider the bubble as well. So we can go in there as long as we test negative throughout the week. Um, and because I have twice in the last week, I've been able to go um, to the first two Clippers games. So it's, um, you know, inside the bubble at the wide world of sports complex. It's pretty interesting just to kind of get the lay of the land, get the geography of where the Visa Athletic Center, which is the smallest venue, the arena, the biggest, and then the HP Fieldhouse, um, which is actually where the Clippers played yesterday. Kind of just where they're all situated, where I can and cannot go with my level of access. Um, but I would say it's been really smooth. Like the NBA's done a pretty good job of making it easy to figure out where to be. And I'm assuming you can't go to where the players are staying, right, on those uh, areas, but just where the games are being played? Yeah, correct. And, you know, even journalists who are in the bubble, there are, you know, a limited number of people who are um, kind of inside. Even they are barred from really going to, to the hotel, the resorts, um, as far as I know. So it's pretty restrictive even inside the, the innermost layer of where people cannot, cannot go. How often are you being tested? Uh, twice a week okay. uh, by the NBA. And so that, yeah, that did, so by the time of my, my stay in Orlando, I'll be tested four times because I'm staying two weeks. And then do you get tested? What is it? The day before a game or something like that. And then you find out your results within 24 hours. What's it like with the, uh, the turnaround time? Yeah, the system the NBA has set up is that we're tested two days a week, uh, at least on my schedule, it's Tuesdays and Fridays. And then, um, you know, that essentially clears you until the next test. So they play um, Tuesday morning out here. So I'll, I'll still go for my test that morning, uh, you know, getting going to that game that night. I, my tests have not come back within, you know, six or seven hours. It's been more 24 hours. So, um I assume that I'll still be able to go to that game based off my negative test Friday. But, you know, we're all, all, I'm sure that I'll learn more in the next coming days. But like I said, it's been, NBA has made it pretty easy. The testing process is um, maybe five minutes long. So um, it's, it's been pretty accessible and um, I haven't found it to be like cumbersome in any way. I'm sure people are curious. Do you, what's that exact process like? Do you have to go to, where the arena is and that's where you get tested. What kind of tests do you have to take? What's that? What's the whole process like? No. Um, 
the tests for people who aren't in the bubble um, are not held in the bubble. They're just at a site um, kind of just outside. And so I, I do that. Um, it's, it's like I said, it's, really, it's very quick. And then uh, it's, it's not the deep nasal swab, the feared deep nasal swab. It's a kind of just around the nose. Um, and it, that's, that's really all it takes. Um, you, I walk into a room and I've walked out within five minutes each time. And then you have access higher up, though, correct? Because I know I've seen a picture where you were, I think, a little bit higher up, and then there are a couple of journalists who are inside. Um, I think, what is it, Talia, I believe, that was taking a picture of you from where she was a little bit lower and you were higher up? Oh, like in the, physically, in the arena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the arenas, um, in my level of access, which is called Tier 2, um, we are seated farther away from the floor than uh, the media, the in-bubble media, which is uh, tier, I mean, technically it's not tier one, but uh, they are the, the upper tier of media. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so my colleague who covers the Lakers, Tanya Ganguly, she is in the bubble uh, for another several weeks. And so she has been, you know, she has entree to the coaches and players post-game in person, at kind of a social distance. Um so it, it's in some ways it's a pregame and postgame availability is is pretty much like a regular season game uh, pre-pandemic. Uh, there's no locker room access, but you can talk to you know players when they have I mean, excuse me to coaches pregame when they have their group availability, and then postgame the you know the te- each team brings out usually three sometimes four players, um, and they and they talk as well. So they can talk to them in person. Media in my tier we. Um, we do it all by zoom. So I watch the games in person and then I open up the link on my laptop while I'm still on, well, I'm still in my same seat in the arena. And I watch the post game from there. How difficult has it been to cover the team without getting the access that you normally do? I was talking to Miriam about this cause she obviously not even going to Orlando and she was saying oh, with the zoom, I mean, we were talking about how, when you are normally talking to players, you have those follow-up questions and you get deeper and deeper into your questions. And then it's a lot easier for the players to be honest when you're, you have a one-on-one when you're at their locker, for example, before a game or even after a game, if you stay late, as opposed to now these zooms where I think you get one question and it's kind of tougher to maintain that relationship between player and journalist. So how different has it been the experience of covering the team virtually as opposed to what you were traditionally used to at Staples Center. I agree with everything uh, Miriam related there, which can kind of paraphrase. I think that when you, um, when you, when everything is a more kind of stage uh, interview when it's in front of a, you know, kind of a backdrop during a zoom availability, obviously um, there are more people competing for their time. And so you don't have the time for the casual conversations that I, that all beat reporters you know, no is the, some of the most important stuff of the job where it's just, again, casual time to get to know people. It's not a formal interview, but you're just maybe chatting. Um, and so that's this kind of stuff that helps, I think, get to know players better and to kind of learn more about them and can lead to better stories that way. Um, so that's the stuff that goes away when it's more formal interview sessions. Well, when everything is a formal interview session, like right now. So that, that is definitely the downside to this arrangement. Um, you know, I think that 
the upside in some ways is that I know post game, I can listen to everything. Um, where, whereas in a, in a normal setting, I'm making choices in the locker room of, okay, do I have time to listen to everyone I want to? Probably not because my deadlines are fairly tight on the, on a game night. So in this setting, I still have, I usually have time to listen to everybody and their availabilities, um, because they just go one after another very quickly after the game. There's no waiting for showers. Um, at the same time, um, that means you, there's not as much of a diversity of voices that you're hearing, um, because, you know, post game, you, you probably only want two or three players. Um, and they're usually probably the two or three, you know, uh, you know, Kawhi, Paul, Paul George, and maybe somebody else. I think, you know, in a normal locker room setting, I would, I would definitely try to make time to, um, talk with uh, several other guys, even just casually after a game. So that's, that's definitely a downside of it. Since you don't have that access when you're there right now in Orlando, what do you find the benefit is to being there right now? Because obviously the Zoom is how you're normally is how you're getting right now all these interviews. What do you find as the biggest benefit of actually being there, despite the fact that you don't have the access you normally do? Well, I think it's clearly just being able to to see it in in full detail. I don't have to rely on the the feed from ESPN's cameras or TNT's cameras. I can um, you know use my own eyes and basically use observations. So uh, I, I hope that the stories that we've been writing from Florida, um, if people are reading them, they'll, they'll sense a like a greater level of scene setting or like like feeling like you are there in some small way. I'm seeing being shown something that maybe you couldn't pick up um, from the broadcast. That's, I think, the entire reason why being here is valuable is to provide greater context or show people something that they otherwise would not uh, see. Yeah, of course. And if you read, I mean, obviously, if anybody here that's listening reads Andrew's takeaways from the game against the Pelicans, he does mention, I mean, you do talk about how there was a distinct difference between the two benches and how you were able to hear the claps for Paul George when he hit that three-pointer and just the difference between how it goes from the atmosphere of the Laker game to where it was kind of raucous and louder and there was obviously other people there that were other players to this where it's kind of quieter environment and the players themselves had to make that atmosphere for themselves so we can talk about the game a little bit, and we talked about just now, I brought up Paul George, and when he hit that three-pointer, and how the bench was behind him, and they were excited. Man, he was incredible yesterday, and it really is no joke, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, that he clearly is healthy, and there's no doubt about that, and he's quickly becoming a guy that is, I, I dare to say, very Steph Curry-like in the way that he is launching from downtown, and he has been incredible to start this scrimmage slash bubble, I guess, session, you can call it. What do you see from him that is just so different from what we've been used to? Well, I mean, he's shooting 14 of 21 from three. And, that, and that's obviously, he was clearly a good three-point shooter, but this is something this is something completely else. So mm-hmm. this has been really remarkable to see. Um, and I think it's he's flourished in this offense that is shooting 40, uh, excuse me, 51% of its, all of its shots from three point range since the bubble began. Um, and they're making 49% of those by the way. So they've definitely uh, are taking more three pointers. Um, doc rivers has never really like asked players to shy away from taking threes. He's always said, we just want the best shot available. Um, they just want to score. 
Uh, but right now it's definitely tilting more toward three pointers. Um, that for comparison, they were shooting 37% of their shots from three, uh, in the, in the race and the rest of the season before the shutdown happened. So been a big uptick and Paul George has been a huge beneficiary of that. Clearly he's, he has no problem, um, taking the shots that are open if they're no matter where they're from. And right now he's hitting basically everything. I mean, he, he did miss all the shots, all his two pointers yesterday, which was an odd thing. And he kind of mentioned that, that, uh, he's having trouble right now making shots that aren't threes and he's, he's trying to process that. Um, but when you are shooting as well as he has from deep, uh, he has 58 points in two games. Um, it's not exactly a problem. Nothing, nothing seems to be going wrong by any means, but obviously he's, he wants to be well-rounded with his offensive game. So it's probably just confidence. You know, he's talked at length about how the shoulders that he had his surgery on uh, last year in May and June, respectively, even didn't feel like he wasn't all that confident in them, um, even in the later stages of the season, but that the four months off allowed him to get um, just a, a better rhythm with them. And, so, I mean, it's hard to quantify that, and it's it. You know, I'd love to have a more quantifiable answer for you, but sometimes it is just confidence, and clearly Paul George has it right now. Yeah, and you want him to start hitting those twos because the last thing you want is a game where he goes ice cold from distance and he can't get any shot to go from either two point territory or three point territory. But I'm sure that he'll figure it out. I mean, he had 33 points in 24 minutes in his debut versus the Pelicans. And then he goes and destroys them again with 28 yesterday, eight of 11 from deep. Now he's 24 of 41 from three in Orlando. And uh, you mentioned the Clippers taking a bunch of threes as a team. And they obviously had that team record 25 yesterday. Do you see that as something that will continue going forward? Because Montrez Harrell is not a three-point shooter, and you have guys like Jermichael Green and Patrick Patterson that have gotten more minutes with this second unit. Montrez Harrell is going to come in and steal a lot of those minutes. Do you see that trend changing at all? Because Trez does play a large part of what they do offensively, and he plays a lot of minutes, and it's not like you have a guy like Zoo who doesn't need the touches. Trez needs the touches. You're going to see a lot more two-pointers from him. I'm curious to see, do you think that they keep this up with this three-point shooting? You, make a, you bring up a good point with Trez, and when he does come back, how much he, um, the gravity of the offense pulls toward him and what he can bring. So, yeah, I don't think that it'll be sustainable long-term because, listen, Montrez Harrell is a really good offensive player, and you don't want to take the ball out of his hands. Um, so you want to get him in his spots. So giving him the ball will clearly uh, remove a decent chunk of those shots that otherwise might go to a three-point shooter. But um, I do feel like you, there has to be some residual carryover from this because um, the Clippers have too many good three-point shooters to just um, just kind of have this be a, an aberration for a couple games and then go away from it. I asked Paul George yesterday, kind of, is this a sign of the offense that's going to be to stay essentially? And he said, yeah, um, they have, because they have such a, a wide variety of shooters and uh, they know if they get dribble penetration, they can usually find open shots that they are just going to continue to get these kind of shots, these kind of opportunities, and they shouldn't be afraid to shoot them. So um, it won't be quite like this, I can't imagine. But um, I, I think that what has transpired so far would have to give the players confidence going forward, even if kind of the share of three-pointers goes down a little bit. I still think you'll see them um, 
kind of reiterating to each other, like three point shot, just take it, you know, clearly we've seen what we can do so far. Yeah. And Lou Williams will take a bunch of threes when he comes back and then you get Shamit in the mix. And like I said earlier, Jermichael Green and Patrick Patterson. And of course you have Kawhi, PG, Pat Beverly, who clearly made an impact in that starting lineup yesterday. And you can see how important he is to their team. And you bring up, I bring up Pat and how important he is to this starting lineup. And one of your takeaways was that we saw what the starters could do, outscoring the Pelicans by 23 in that game yesterday. I'm not sure there are many better units to start a ball game right now than what the Clippers have, because you have two guys that are top 10 in the NBA and Kawhi and PG and what Pat brings defensively, what Zoo does defensively and on the glass and inside. And Marcus Morris eventually will figure out his offensive game. Uh, obviously, the Laker game was not great, but this is a very good starting five. What, what are your thoughts on what this group has done so far and what they're capable of? Well, yesterday was the probably the peak version of that. I, you know, I like I said in my takeaways, the Pelicans' defense is not one of the league's premier defenses. Uh, so uh, days like that are, are understandably probably going to be far and few between where they, you're not just going to roll up people like that, that early clearly. Um, but I, th- th- I think that starting lineup works pretty well because um, clearly Pat Beverly brings energy and good decisions and a confidence about him that meshes really well. Uh, I think that Zubats uh, will obviously, he's not, remember, he's still not in like fighting shape. He's only about a week removed from returning to campus playing his first game. So uh, you're, I think you're going to see him become a little bit better of a, um, like, return to his form, I should say, of being the good rim protector that he had been all year. Um, obviously, Marcus Morris is pretty divisive. I think at least from Clippers fans or analysts or bloggers that I follow, and I understand it, I think that his defense is um, is, is not something that's going to really probably compensate for his lack of offense so far for many because, obviously, defense is harder to quantify, and, um, and offense has been – his shooting has been pretty bad compared to New York. But I, I would have to think, I guess I would agree with Doc Rivers when every time I've asked him or someone has asked him since I've been on the beat about, hey, you know, this player is not shooting very well. Like, are you concerned? And he's, his default answer is, um, I trust basically in shooters and you don't just forget how to shoot. Um, Marks Morris, you know, shooting four to three percent for about five months of this year. I do think he will find um, a gear where he maybe gets in the high thirties again and gets something somewhere close to it because it just, it would seem, it would seem to boggle the mind for me that he could go from so much of a weapon in New York to not. And I think that he really is that missing that the offensive contribution is that missing link within the lineup. Um, because otherwise, you know, uh, if you get him going, it's really scary between the shooting and the mix of, and the mix of defense as well. It's, Everybody can pretty much add in every single way in that lineup. There's not there's not a one there's not one uh, negative player on that on that court if Marcus Morris is shooting well. Yeah, there's no doubt he's a very good offensive player. And what he did against the Clippers earlier this year, I mean, he he when he gets going, he's very tough to stop. And you bring up his defense, and something that's been very interesting to see is that the Clippers really have no problem switching. There, it seems like PG Kawhi Marcus Morris, they're all going to switch, and they're okay with it. How do you feel about that? Because I'm not sure if at times you just want to continue to have a Kawhi on a certain individual instead of having them just continually switching. It just seems like the Clippers are okay switching no matter what. 
Yeah, I mean that that's kind of just what their defense does. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone on the Lakers, I forget who it was. Maybe it was Anthony Davis said that like we, hey, we know like this team they switch everything. Um, so this is it's, some, it's something that's baked in a kind of this defense that's led by Rex Kalamian, the assistant coach. Um, but you know they also have. I think I'll be curious how much they go back to zone um, throughout this uh, you know seeding game round and then the postseason because the zone was really really um, heavily emphasized in December in particular and they went. A little, bit, a, a little bit away from it the rest of the season. It wasn't quite as, as much of a, a feature as it was you know, lead up to Christmas time. Um, but the, for a while, it, it had a pretty good um, track record. And so I, I wonder how much they might go back to it. It was something that the Clippers worked on quite a bit in that first scrimmage. Um, that was something that Steve Clifford, the Orlando's coach, said that he and Doc had talked about, it, that they wanted to use that scrimmage to basically brush up on their zone. So uh, I would be curious, given the length of their starting five, again, we talk about Morris and Leonard and George, the combined length of you know, the six, eight guys right there at their wingspans, what a zone could look like with those guys um, all kind of running around the perimeter, providing some backline help. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be curious to see more of that because, again, we've only had about, I think it's 147 minutes now. Um, or maybe 150 minutes total of this lineup. And I'd just like to see a little bit more. Yeah. And you also mentioned that you thought the Clippers did a really nice job on Zion yesterday with only seven points in 14 minutes. And it seems like Zion, whenever he faces someone, he's been very aggressive and he's been able to get easy buckets. That didn't really happen yesterday at all. The Clippers did a really nice job on him. What can that be attributed to? Well, I mean, Zion is clearly his rhythm is something that's been a discussion point ever since um, he was kind of pull, put put in and pulled out of the lineup um, against Utah on opening night on Thursday. So I think his natural rhythm just is not really there right now. And a lot of that can be owed to just, um, you know, kind of going in, going out, going in, going out, playing in short bursts, which is what Alvin Gentry called it. Um, and, you know, his conditioning probably is not – that's, that's Obviously, that's a reason why they are doing that, right? His conditioning is not 100% optimal. But I just thought that they stayed in front of him. You know, there were some times where he got off the ground very quickly and was able to make passes or get some shots up that um, you could tell his athleticism was just so great that it, it still enabled him to find a spot. But uh, I think I just think the Clippers were disciplined, even though they'd never played him yet. This is their fourth time playing the Pelicans, but the first time seeing him. I thought they were just very disciplined. And also, when they got that big lead, I just don't think they were – trying to chase you know, I don't think they're trying to take a risky play I think they just wanted to stay in front and um, you know Kawhi Leonard was very complimentary of him afterward but they, they it's one of the rare games where I don't no, no, there was no single Zion highlight that I can really think of you know mm-hmm. yeah if there I think he got one breakaway where he got an easy like layup slash dunk and it wasn't even a highlight real dunk and Apart from that, I mean, the Clippers did a really nice job. They even did a pretty good job on J.J. Redick, who continued to try and fight his way through screens to try and get open. And Landry Shamit did a really nice job on him. I think it was you that was me- that mentioned it yesterday during the game that those two played together in Philadelphia. And so they kind of know what each other is going to do. And especially Landry knows what J.J. wants to do to get open. And that's one thing about Landry. And we talked about this a little bit with Noah on the podcast on Friday that let's not forget that Landry Shaman had not played 
at all before that game against the Lakers. And so he had a poor performance, no doubt, but he's got to get his legs underneath him and get back to playing this high intensity of basketball. But Landry did a nice job defensively yesterday on JJ, and it seems like he's going to be a guy that's going to be very important for the Clippers when it comes to the postseason. Would you agree? Sure. It'll, it'll definitely be a different role than it was last year, obviously, when he was a starter against Golden State and you know hits the game-winning shot in game two of that comeback. This year, he'll be clearly coming off the bench um, and providing support in that way. It's a smaller role, but I don't think we should equate smaller with um, less important because, you know, as we saw without Lou Williams um, against the Lakers, they put him in in crunch time minutes. Uh, and I was a little surprised by that just because, um, you know, Landry had really, again, just arrived not that long before. And, and Doc had even really said um, in a few days before, kind of projecting. Shamit's role that, hey, we're not going to push him and make him, um, you know, have this huge role right off the bat. We know he's coming back from coronavirus and just a long layoff. Um, but he played him in big minutes, and I think that clearly it's a sign that they still um, really value him, think he's important. And, um, you know, his defense is not the um, kind of the most talked about thing about his game, clearly. it's We always talk about the way he works off screens and shoots threes, but I think, I think he can be serviceable as a defender for sure and cause some problems um, in the right matchup. And yesterday you saw, uh, I think, some some interesting little wrinkles the way he guarded Redick. Um, you know, he again, he knows J.J. pretty well from their time in Philly. And so one time Redick went up for, uh, kind of ran in the lane, went for a little floater and kind of like, you know, leaned in to try to get the foul and, Landry put his hands right behind his, his back, almost like, kind of like the hardened defense where you like remove any bit of you you can to, to, to get the contact out of the way. And I thought that was a really smart play. And it shows, it speaks to the way Landry studies and, and knows the game, that he, he kind of knew to expect that from JJ. Yeah, it's a veteran move. And so the Clippers now play on Tuesday against Phoenix. That'll be one o'clock Pacific time. What do you think Doc wants to see from these guys in the final six? Because right now they're two games up in the West. It seems like they're in pretty good shape to get that two seed. So what do you think he wants to see from these guys in these final six games before we get to the playoffs? Well, I think that more than anything, the Clippers want to get to the playoffs healthy. Yeah. And um, that, I mean, I think that even if they did not hold on to the, the two seed, but um, they were able to go in completely, everybody available, everyone feeling good. I think they would take that. You know, I think they just, as we've known all year, the Clippers have been focused on the postseason, and they know that they are one of the deepest rosters in the whole league. And so kind of, I, I think there's a feeling rightly, fully so they probably should expect to have some success um, against pretty much any matchup in, in those early rounds, just because of the depth of options they can throw at teams. So, I, I don't think they're necessarily playing for a specific matchup or kind of gamesmanship that way. I just think they want to get the postseason healthy. And so that's the number one thing on Doc Rivers' um, kind of priority list. The other one is obviously continuity. You know, this, the great thing about that depth and the star power is that you don't necessarily need a whole lot of rhythm to still be successful and to um, be able to show that you're still potent. Like, think about the Laker game. I mean, they're missing 37 points in Lou Williams, Montrose Harrell, and they did not look good for very much of the game. They had horrible foul trouble. They had 20 turnovers, and yet they were in the game until the final seconds. And that was, to me, an indication that, you know, they, the, the amount of star power they have and raw talent can really overcome a lot of mistakes. That's nice to have. Any coach would take that. But you also need continuity. And so getting Montrose Harrell back and Lou Williams back in the flow 
getting everybody kind of re reused to that's a terrible word to say getting accustomed to their their roles again um just kind of as they were in march when they were picking up steam i think is important um obviously that's not something you would love to have to go through in the middle of a first round playoff series kind of learn on the fly so i'm sure that if they can get everybody back and, and have them playing for about a week or so before the postseason starts that would probably go a long way toward establishing some of that ever elusive continuity and it seems like right now they'll be that two seed and the seven seed is dallas who is two and a half games back of houston and oklahoma city so barring some craziness happening which very well could happen in the final six or seven games of these teams clippers could be facing off against porzingis and Doncic in that first round and i think that tends to actually help out the clippers um, I'm curious to get your point of view. Do you think that matchup is good or bad for the Clippers to take on Dallas? Um, you know, I haven't, I haven't um, really given it a whole lot of thought, but mm-hmm. I just think that the offense uh, of those two would be so much fun to watch. Uh, this is not the most, uh, this is probably surface level anal- anal- analysis, but I just love the idea of watching the Clippers kind of full strength defense um, as, as, deep and long as it can be and just kind of the, the way the styles again they can go zone they can go man-to-man they can switch um against uh, attack a two-man attack of Doncic and Porzingis I just that would be so much fun to watch I mean uh, so selfishly I would love to watch those two um for several games and just kind of see how Dallas which has again statistically the best offense in NBA history try to figure out a defense as varied as Clippers um, but ultimately I think, yeah, the Clippers would be able to get by them, but, um, I, I don't know. I just, I, I love going to those Denver, those, uh, Dallas games earlier this year. They were so much fun. Cause I just felt like there was an energy in the building when, uh, Doncic gets on the floor yeah. and, and Doc Rivers talks about him as being one of his favorite players to watch in the entire league. So that would be a real treat. Yeah, it'd be fun to see Kawhi, PG, Pat Beverly, all those guys go up against Luca and obviously Luca's height about six foot eight. Kawhi and PG on him would be uh, would be quite the matchup, to say the least. You can read him in the LA Times. Andrew Greif, you can follow him on Twitter, at Andrew Greif, as he continues his coverage from Orlando before he heads home and hopefully goes back for the NBA Finals. Andrew, as always, thank you so much for joining us here on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me on. Let's, I hope we can do this again later. Folks, let's take some time to talk about our partner, MyBookie. Say it with me now. Sports are back, baby. I know you've been waiting for this day during quarantine, waiting for those home runs, waiting for those slam dunks, waiting for those game-winning shots. Well, finally, sports are back, and you know what that means. It's time to place some wagers and make a little bit of money on these games. Of course, the NBA bubble season is here MLB is in full swing. We've got football around the corner. Soccer's continuing with the Champions League starting up coming in a few days. I know you want to bet on those games, and you can at my bookie. With my bookie, it's easy. You bet, you win, and they pay. So many sports that you can bet on. Of course, hockey as well as they continue action in their bubble. So how do you go and make some money? Well, it all starts by signing up at MyBookie. Join today, and MyBookie will match your deposit 100%. Plus, they'll toss you a free $10 MLB future wager. You heard me. They'll match your deposit 100%. Plus, 
that free $10 MLB future wager. All you got to do is enter the promo code HOOPBALL when signing up. That is the promo code HOOPBALL, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L. And if you don't really know who you should bet on, how about following the guys at HOOPBALL Gaming as they have their tweet storms every single day. They tell you who they are going after And these guys, man, they get red hot. So you'll want to follow them as they make money and you make money as well. Remember, at MyBookie, the terms are simple. You bet, you win, they pay. A big thank you to Andrew for joining us once again. Hope he enjoys his time in Orlando. Perhaps encounters Mickey Mouse and says hello. You can follow him on Twitter at Andrew Greif. That's Andrew, G-R-E-I-F. So follow him on Twitter does a great job covering the team. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at BDMarcus and at HoopBallClips is where you can find the podcast. Of course, if you can rate and review, that would be greatly appreciated. Give us that five-star rating and review the podcast as well. It does help this podcast grow as we continue to try and get great guests to give you great Clipper content. Looking ahead to Tuesday, the Clippers will take on the Suns. Very interested to see how Zoo does against DeAndre Ayton. That is one matchup that I think Zoo actually could do pretty well in as he has done a very good job against opposing centers. He shut down LaMarcus Aldridge earlier this year, has done a very good job in general against centers. And also, it'll be interesting to see how Pat Beverly and company do against Devin Booker. So it really is a two-man team. Bridge is a solid player as well. Saric is fine, but again... It really is a two-man team with Booker and Aiton. So if the Clippers can shut those two down, it should be a pretty easy win. But again, none of these games are going to be easy, except for really yesterday's. The Clippers blew out the Pelicans from start to finish. Going to try and have another podcast for you, most likely next Friday. Won't be able to record until then, as we'll try and recap a couple of games the Clippers play before that Friday I think it's an off day on Friday, and they'll play two games before that, so we'll recap both of those ball games. Big thank you to everybody for listening. Of course, continue to follow this team as they're in the bubble and they make their way towards the playoffs. A big thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Brandon Marcus, and go Clips! This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.